0: Oh boy, Thompson's bringing out the big file folder today. Wait, that's right. Is, it, is that a dolly? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited about today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, as you may know, there is no lost love between Alex Abel and the show. This goes God. How far does that go back? At least to like, at least to like the late eighties, I think. We 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 talk a lot about the war game and all that stuff coming out of the mid nineties. but this this goes back even further than that. Even to Alex Abel's, you know, corporate raider days. I mean it's probable
1: like I think there is a connection with the the Fed project, like a private public partnership. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. John Tynes took Alex Abel's money, produced unknown armies
0: saying little about Alice he doesn't seem to have that many connections with uh feds and Not you know anymore. and all of that well and again that's the interesting thing during the 80s during the 80s that's those two were co-joined to the hip Iron Iran Contra and all that I mean God we fucking went over this in the Epstein episode which I still haven't found any concrete connections there but I'm looking it, it the timeline the timeline makes sense they would have been operating the same circles at the same time. Chicago versus New York, sure, but... I don't know. I don't know if it, uh, Alex Abel was involved in that
1: sort of thing. He was a bit more conservative well, I don't think about he was involved sex. with
0: all the island shit. More Epstein's early days when, you know, he was involved with uh, doing all that shit uh, in the Middle East and, you know, doing general scummy corporate raider Donald Trump-style shit, you know? I th-
1: well, I think that's it with Donald Trump because we know we knew it, they knew each other. Um, they had associations with each other. I think, like, Alex Abel had his chance during the Trump administration, but he was probably too busy drinking his
0: own piss to actually manipulate it. Or that might have been a cover. Hey, man, the Chinese emperors knew that was the secret to long-term vitality. You create a closed system that way. That's right. So the past few weeks, uh, Thompson here has been uh, going through uh, Mr. Abel's trash a lot, among other things. Uh, doing these, your sort of classic, uh, I mean, some might call it intelligence, we call it independent journalism. And he has apparently co- found some very interesting information. Now, I think before we really dive into this, we should maybe give a bit of an overview, but before I start that, would you like to give our listeners at least a bit of a taste of what you found here, man?
1: Oh, it's so much. It's so much. I've been... I was gonna just going to dig up some dirt on old Alex Abel just for fun, just to try to poke him a bit, but I dug up so much dirt that I could pan it for gold, and gold I found. This changes a lot about how we view the events documented in the war game. Um, it recontextualizes a bunch of things. That do in a way that does have effects beyond just Alex Abel and his near ascension. Where this comes from, it goes all the way back to 1968. Oh wow! In order to get into that, in order to get into that, we need a background on Alex Abel's past,
0: and I believe that Frank, you've prepared yourself for this moment. I have. I've done a bit of going over his past as well, as Wikipedia articles, quite illuminating for, you know, the public-facing shit, and for stuff for those more in the circles we broadcast to, the War Games give a pretty damn good dossier. To kind of go into Mr. Abel here, uh, Mr. Abel was born in 1949... Uh, Grew up to two black middle class parents Just in the heyday of uh, Civil rights movement and all that Good stuff Uh, Abel has gone on record Many times saying that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Was a huge Personal inspiration to him And I definitely get that But you know that's Still a very rough era for a young black man to grow up in But He uh, he was able to push through that uh, When Did very well in football as a young man. Leveraged that into heading to the historic black university, Washington University. Graduates with a degree with business. What was told to him at this university? Because this
1: is very important.
0: This is true. This is true. Now, uh, one of the people he met there was a gentleman by the name of Father Thomas Krebs, who was involved with Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Alex, surprisingly, is not super publicly religious we can go into how he's privately uh well his, his i guess his religious status could be put as it's complicated um but this thing is kind of this krebs isn't super significant in the story except for the Big thing that was told to him, and this is kind of stuck with Alex, and enough to show up in the dossier, the quote, Alex, I can see you turning into a particularly small kind of bad man, and I don't like it. You have the potential to be much more. And Alex replied, Alex Abel matters. Why should I care about some lady on a bus where I'm going? I plan on having a car and a driver. And I think that's a pretty, so- that last little reply how true it is nah, i mean these dossiers can be kind of uh i mean you know we know the sort of shit that was in mlk cia dossier it, it is a nice little pithy uh, reflection of how he at least sort of from the outward perspective, of how what his behavior tends to be like um as alex entered the business world and something before that because oh god he's yeah. what up because
1: that was what he said to Krebs, but then something happened that changed his mind. Well,
0: it had an effect. That was his general per, uh, perspective. Don't really need to care, care about civil rights. Now, the MLK influence came in actually postu- posthumously on MLK's part. Seeing MLK get shot changed Alex in a very profound way because he sort of saw that all the fame, all the success doesn't really do a whole lot for you when people want to kill you still. Money, even a very large stack of it, can't protect you from a sufficiently high-caliber bullet. Seeing MLK die like that gave him a very interesting perspective on his position as a black man. Now, this write-up does have the combined insensitivity of a federal federal intelligence dossier and a late-90s... Uh, white guy, role-playing game writer, wrapped up at once, but functionally, um, the conclusion that Abel came to was that the guilt and terror associated with being a black man was quite lucrative, if you thought about it in the right way, because it put him in a position to sell sort of a feeling of emotional clemency to sell to sort of be a um he could hand out indulgences for racism in a sense he and as he was entering the business world uh building his wealth up he was able to keep make and keep connections that way because you know he we're talking he's entering the business world um during the early 80s he, that's when he's really getting successful as he um, enters his early 30s. We're talking peak Reaganomics here. And amongst all of these sharks and wolves of Wall Street, uh, I mean, frankly, what he was doing was cashing in on his token status. He, he saw that token and saw how shiny it was and figured he could Give it into oh, some So his detractors would have you believe. <laughs> so his detractors have believe. This is the dossier. And it, again, this is the insensitive, combined insensitivity of someone writing about a very rich and successful black man to the feds. A rich and su- successful black man who, far as we know, has never ever had very. Su- significant involvement with intelligence compared to you know certain other very successful and wealthy people in America and um a all you know sort of the uh general insensitivity on this sort of subject matter that uh is associated with mid 90s role playing games one does not I I don't need to bring up World of Darkness gypsies just, I think that's enough. Or oh, Ravenloft gypsies, for that matter. The Romani have not been t- t- treated well by the role-playing game industry. But, uh, I mean, White Wolf in general did uh, had a bit of a habit of not uh, treating these subjects very tactfully. Um, there's that very famous Wraith source book about the Holocaust, for example, which I have not actually read. Um, I've heard it from some people that's actually surprisingly quite good. Mm. There is, to a certain degree, a level of, um, that I must question the concept on a fundamental level. That's the thing. Everyone, like, that's one of those
1: things that everyone questions the concept on a fundamental level and talks about questioning the concept without reading it. I I have no patience for this sort of thing anymore.
0: All right. Have you read it? Go off, man.
1: Uh, No, no, it's not, it's just the concept of people being like, oh, that sounds bad, let's talk about how it sounds bad, and no one actually reads it. I've read it a bit a long time ago, and I can't remember very much, but um, it could be that it is insensitive, but no, I've never
0: heard anyone talk about any specifics. It's always, the idea sounds bad. (laughs) Yes, I agree, but also put this in the context of how White Wolf tended to handle anything like that. That is true, and I'm not defending White Wolf by no means. Uh, but, but no, like, you're right, you, 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 that, that, you're a fair point, I'm, I'm judging a book by its cover, I'm being presumptuous, and you're right, I shouldn't be. And Especially when it's White Wolf, they, you don't have to be presumptuous, you could be like, "What is the fuck is this, White Wolf, why did you make this decision?
1: But you have to get into the specifics, is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, at a later date, um, hold on, what is it called? Look, at a later date, we can dedicate an episode to Charnel Houses of Europe, the Showa. <laughs> yeah, that's the name. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, um, again, that, that's like, for another time. Hey Frank, hey, Frank, what kind of objectives can we come up with for the Showa? I mean, we, we did dedicate our second episode to... You know, going over the Jeffrey Epstein mythos, so I don't think we really have much we'd like to stand on about being tasteful here, or at least excuse me, our second, uh, our second album. We're in
1: a taste. We're in a quiet taste. We're like natto or vegemite.
0: We're yeah, exactly. We're like <laughs> ve- Marmite even Marmite. We're we're extremely yeasty. That's true. You should, we should we should both of us should get that checked out at some point. Well, I won't tell anyone if you don't. Now, um, the word that does get thrown around in the dossier, and I do feel kind of bad about this, because this, this narrative is given a lot of emphasis in the Lawyer's Guns and Money write-up, um, the nickname Alex Oreo. Oh, yes, and this will come up. And, like, all this can be put on, like, oh, Alex was a black man in a white man's world that was able to use that status and capitalize on it, and... The context of how this is brought, it says
1: he endured the scorn of his few peers and with the odious name and the odious nickname Alex Oreo. This is when he's coming up in the early nineteen eighties, entering capitalism, entering the capitalist world, entering entering the like investment, um the stock market manipulation. This is um basically the sort of, it's it's the sort of tall poppy uh syndrome you get from certain communities yeah, and also exactly. the jealousy exactly. you get from other communities. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: He was also just a very good and very ruthless businessman in a time and place where people like that thrived. So like putting his success down to just like, oh, he could kind of Grant people clemency for their racism. Maybe there was a part of that. That's still a very presumptuous narrative to make when you can look at all the other shit he pulled that actually has a fucking paper trail, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. But this will come up.
1: It'll be very important in what happened. May not be the only thing that's important, but I feel it, it does have an influence on the reason. It, it does. Partially explain his failed ascension in a, a bleak kind of way, but I'll get into that.
0: It might, it might. I'm not sure how much, but we can we can get into what archetype he was going for in a bit. Um, now, kind of his first brush against what we might call the occult underground was a buddy of his while he was drunk and feeling particularly. Uh, open, gave Alex a number that if he called it and gave them enough money, which is a lot of money, he could basically have pretty much anyone assassinated. And uh, Alex first did this against a child molester who he spotted on the news. And from here, he kind of from here, he kind of just would call that number up every once in a while. Uh, as, a just one, he kind of felt the need to exercise some power on the world. And this is the sort of thing that's a interesting enough little detail, and this is, the, and would actually be found by someone looking into his shit, someone writing up this sort of dossier, that I think has a bit more clemency to it, you know? Like... All the quote-unquote Alex Oreo shit, yeah. I think it could have been a lot of that could have been Tall Poppy Syndrome, and a lot of that could have been retroactive, right? The anyone that got interviewed on this would have been um, talking about events that were like fif- 10, 15 years ago. Oh yeah, and that would have been
1: after he changed, he made a big shift towards TNI. Yeah. He had a bad rep. Exactly. Rap. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So yeah, there would, you know, people in business. That wanted to see him down a peg. Never mind all the all the Chargers and whatnot that had bad <laughs> blood. Legitimate him. beef. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've called Alex a lot of very negative things on the show. but I don't think we've ever thrown something as fucked up as Oreo at him. We try to come up with things less less racist and more creative than that when we're insulting him. Yes,
1: um, I just, I just think that he's became a particularly big kind of bad man.
0: (laughs) Yes. Now, he actually gets out of the sort of post-Reagan business crackdown, like, without a scratch on him. Uh, when... he named, he named names. Yeah, he named names, and that's like, he, he does have a bit of a pattern of cooperating with the feds but that doesn't seem to extend too much to his TNI days especially with how many ex federales he ends up recruiting you know this is a man that uses external large institutions as the opportunities present themselves but he doesn't have any particular loyalty to any of them I'd say so yeah well Donald Trump is going through his first divorce and is Ten feet under in bankruptcy, all Alex gets stuck with is a ten thousand dollar fine, which is nothing. Drop in like not less than a drop no. in the bucket. No, that's, like, that's, nah, that's but... yeah, that's less than nothing. <laughs> that, that is a grain of sand. Mm-hmm. And throughout all this, he's kind of you know the fla- the he's kind of the icon of the new black man under Reagan. Right, he is the symbol of racism is over. And I don't think this is something that he cultivated so much was hoisted upon him due to his success. But it's Alex. He was very willing to take advantage of that sort of thing again when the opportunity presented itself.
1: I don't think it it wasn't an objective, but he wasn't going to look a gift horse in the mouth for his own objective. It it worked. He was distracted with his other shit, but he was happy to be. He didn't mind being called the new face of black America by the Wall Street Journal because it's fine.
0: Yeah. He's like if Oprah was a man. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's sort of a position in the cultural consciousness, the. We don't need to worry about this anymore. Look at how successful these people are. I can see. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. <laughs> I mean, if you want real man Oprah, that's Joe Rogan, but. <laughs> I'm just laughing. At all, uh, all the. At the, the 15 minutes of squirming, followed and then capped off by. He's like, if Oprah was a man. It's like, What? in terms of being a cultural figure. Hot takes! Allow me <laughs> to continue him. shoveling feet into my mouth. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I only got two of them, Thompson <laughs> You don't have to dig this hole. You can just recap No, events. but while I- I've already dug it, I might as well get comfortable in it. All right. Thank God for Audacity's editing features. But yeah, Wall Street Journal dubs him the new face of black America. People Magazine calls him the third most eligible bachelor in the world. And that is an interesting thing. He never marries. He has relationships. We know he has relationships. But he's never married. At the point of the original dossier, he hadn't married. He's still never married. He's too—he's just too Apollonian for that. Yeah, that checks out. I, I, I mean, you know. I, 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 I'm a bit, I, 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 my my, my brain is one-off mostly, but still there, still there. It's had time to settle. <laughs> So, yeah, he comes out of Reagan, uh, the Reagan post Reagan crackdown, which scot free and is in a perfect position to continue taking advantage of his current wealth and to continue accruing it. But then right in the beginning of the 1990s,
1: how do you miss the fact that he assassinated one of the biggest te- European terrorist masterminds? OK, but which one? We don't know. It was a mastermind. <laughs> Someone uh, behind. I have I have some ideas.
0: I have some uh I've I, gone, gone down some rabbit holes. Alright, I'm interested. I'm interested. So yeah, it's I, I didn't bring it up because I didn't think it was relevant, but apparently you do. So yeah, like uh throughout all this he's kind of <laughs> keeping his assassinations up and desperate to feel something in his In the hole where his heart to be, where his heart used to be that has now been hollowed out by capital. And, you know, somewhere in the middle that he ends up putting down a shit ton of money to uh, kill a extremely, again, terrorist mastermind. That's just one of those words It's like... Is it? Yeah, like terrorist terrorist cells aren't that connected, especially not as much as uh, you know, late Mid 90s uh, federal dossiers and fiction would uh, like you to think, right? Mm. Mm. We'll see. Yeah, but uh, apparently he pulled it off and it cost a shit ton of money to do it. A third of his yearly income. That's a lot of money, actually. It is a lot of money because that's the
1: thing. That's the thing. As you mentioned before, it doesn't matter how much money or power or moral weight you have that doesn't stop a bullet it didn't stop the bullet that ha- that killed mlk but he realized that applies to bad
0: people as well as good people it's true it's true but this perspective kind of changes again right at the beginning of the 90s january 1990 alex has something that well the fellas in the white lab coats the experts his doctors called a neurological event. They thought it was maybe like a minor stroke or something. I, You know, it's important to keep in mind that Alex is in his, like, early 40s at this point. He's he's getting, he's not like old, but he's middle-aged. He's starting to hit that age where you might need to start worrying about this sort of thing. He goes into a coma for three days and wakes up and... All he can talk about is the fall of the keys. And this moment is very important to Abel's involvement with the occult underground. Because this is kind of the spark that gets him to get involved in all this. And what he's come to realize through talking to various um, consultants of the occult variety... He found out about the Invisible Clergy through a book called The Invisible Clergy that uh, was written by Emil Dodostov back in the 70s. You know, small print written. run. Oh, God. Do we, I think we have a copy of this on our bookshelves, but it's like. Yep. Yep. It's pretty marked up. There, there's only like 100 of these around, and you, you don't even. You know, a lot of those end up getting burned. So. Um, there's, pfft, I only there's only half of those are still around at this point. But it does the, say what you mean about the book, it does give a pretty complete sketch of how all this invisible clergy business works. <clears throat> it was ghostwritten with information from an insider. Mm, interesting. What Alex has come to understand, and what is sort of the general consensus in the Occult Underground, and as we know, general consensus is the same thing as truth. Um, the fall of the keys was the moment when the bullet train that is Ascension missed Alex by just a hair's width, and instead of Alex ascending, uh, her graciousness, Daphne Lee, instead ascended as a naked goddess. Naked goddess. That is what he's been led to believe. All right. Because And I always kind of found that narrative strange, too. It's bullshit. It's not how a lot of the narrative
1: works. It's not at all. Not at all. But I'll get into this. I, I, I'll I get into this. This
0: is all connected. Yeah. Okay. It's all but connected. That, that's sort of the popular, popular story in The Occult Underground is that Daphne Lee ascended instead of him somehow. What he was going to ascend as, we don't really know. Again, we'll get, I'll get into the... There's three candidates that I'm going to get into. All right, all right. Now, from this, he ends up... And from this, he ends up just grabbing for... Like, scrambling for as much occult knowledge, real occult knowledge as he can get his mitts on. And in the process, he ends up putting together a network of... Um, How would I put this Um, at the time at least it was a pretty kind of loose confederation almost like a criminal conspiracy but a lot of them were just straight up on his payroll of various chargers and avatars and assorted and sordid occultists to find so Alex could ideally find his way back to ascension and this is what comes to be called the New Inquisition. Yes, it is. Now, uh, no, I, don't want, I don't want to get
1: into the New Inquisition too much because that's yeah. a, a different ball game. That, because my that's, focus, that's, focus is on Alex Abel. Yes. Yeah.
0: And basically, he spends the 90s and early 2000s using his money and this network he's built up to try to find some way back into some, to find some way into the invisible clergy. And I mean, it ends up not working out for him. Like the key thing about the new inquisition. And again, I don't want to go into it too much, but the thing that gave it an edge over most kind of group, most groups flowing around the occult underground is that, I mean, the, all the inner circle of it were, for lack of a better term, normies, right? These are people that haven't dedicated the majority of their lives to weird occult ritualistic acts. These are people that run and own successful businesses and organizations and, you know, are generally people that have, you know, what the doctors might call executive functioning, right? Mm. As opposed to your average adept who spends a lot of their time just doing weird shit in public and private so they can get special points that put a tingle in their fingers. Mm. And the New Inquisition makes a lot of... The New Inquisition hits the cult underground like a first-generation Hummer. It makes a lot of enemies because they're well-equipped, they have a lot of money, and they have something that most... Groups involved with the underground don't, which is institutional power. Back up. Back up? Oh, okay. And that has an instruction and not a description. (laughs) 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 Are you alright, Frank? Are you okay? (laughs) I'm fine. I am fine. You know how I get when I get on these. Um, And the thing is, for all that, after all that shit, nothing really comes of it. Nothing really comes of it. He never finds a way back onto the edge of the stratosphere Just according to plan. Oh, now but you're having plan. me really curious, man. Now you're having me really curious. So what ends up happening, and one of the interesting things is that the new Inquisition gets, just like Alex Abel came out of uh, the post-Reagan Crackdown pretty much unscathed, they come out of the Whisper War pretty much unscathed. Well, they were pretty scathed. I mean, compared to Mac Attacks or True Order Saint-Germain. Mac Attacks was stomped on by like three groups at once, but no yeah. one got out of that unscathed. Certainly not Alex Abel. So what happens with Abel is in 07, so a good few years after the Whisper War, he gets drugged in sleep by his main bodyguard, a gentleman by the name of Eponymous. Mm-hmm. Or that's the closest thing to... Closest thing to what you might... Con- he has to what you might consider a name. hmm And apparently Eponymous gets some... Su- uh, Eponymous and some allies of him end up clearing him out, stealing a bunch of their artifacts, taking a bunch of information, getting a bunch of Alex Abel's dirt, and giving it out to other high-level people in the New Inquisition. And a lot of the high-level members of the network... A lot of all the artifacts they've accrued over the years, rituals, all those are gone in the blink of the eye in pretty much one night. And I mean, this is this is a good few years after the Whisper War. And even this isn't that bad for Alex. You know, it really undermines the new inquisition, but that sticks around to a certain degree. No, it ends up fucking over Alex the most is the 08 crash. Hmm. That's some irony in there. Yeah. Couldn't avoid it forever. Nope. Nope. Uh, I mean, the Fed's certainly trying, but... You know, someone's getting hit hit with part of that bill. And... uh, Unfortunately, Abel was the one who had just been tapped on the head. The Federal Reserve called out Goose. And... He was fucked. And from here, the, you know, between the shit with the 08 crash and getting betrayed by several of his closest associates, that, you know, it does, it does things to a man. So there's, in the wake of that, there was a lot of restructuring in the New Inquisition. A lot of emphasis placed on loyalty to the point where... They have, basically they're running on, in certain levels, a private practice MK Ultra, Where they bring you in, they psychologically engineer you for loyalty, and then if that don't work, they actually do so they actually give you they they scramble your eggs a bit. So that whenever you hear the name of Alex Abel or the New Inquisition, you just feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Warm and something. Now woman a f- now? I-, I hope you're going to explain that because I'm curious. No, not but, that because no, okay, none of this is about TNI is relevant. None of this about TNI C-C? is relevant. You seem to be implying that TNI has placed psychic top oh, cages oh. on many no, of no, no, its no, no, members.
1: No, no. Um, no, I'm not implying right. at all. All no. right, I heard dripping. I was I like, guess,
0: what the fuck are you getting at? What, I, I, well, what, what's being done in that What's being done in those psych salad uh, plants I, It doesn't matter if it, Let's get into it on, on the TNI episode Alright yeah. all right. All right. All right. Have um, but I, I want to touch on The current structure a bit because it is kind of Reflective of his current state Because nowadays whereas before TNI was sort of a um, crim, it, it was almost like a uh, Private intelligence Organization that Focused in the cult underground and was all in Alex Abel's pocket. Nowadays, it's kind of... God, how do I put this? Um, Imagine a mix between Lulu... Do you, do you know all the business How like the fucked up ways that Lulu Lemon is run? it is, is this like record? kind of oh, a cult? I, no. Alright, well, I'll, we can go to the later date then. But it, it's... The best way to explain it is... The current structure of New I- Inquisition is somewhere between a cult, a pyramid scheme, and, but with all this emphasis that Alex is placing on loyalty now to the point where he's willing to literally fucking brainwash people to get it, um, he's kind of closed the doors on himself, he very rarely leaves his own um, skyscraper. Um, we've thrown around Howard Hughes comparisons a bit and I don't think that's, I'm sure if it's gone that bad, you have a better idea of that than I do, but it's, I think it's apt. And he's just, he's gone full paranoid at this point. Like he's, he, he, he has the psychology of a charger without and much of the practice behind it, you know? Yep. Yep. The cult underground has shaped him. In its image. And it only took, you know, 20 years to do it. Because, and there's a good reason for that. You're not paranoid if they're really after
1: you. And that's the thing about Alex Abel. He knows he's been fucked with, but he doesn't know
0: by whom. And I think I figured it out. All right. So, to kind of paint a picture where Alex Abel's at now. At this point, he's in his early 70s. He is basically a in that runs a... Mix between a cult, a multi-level marketing scheme, and a occult private investigation firm. And pretty much all of his friends and everyone that was ever close to him betrayed him. Yeah. So, yeah, he's not doing too well. He's still mm. pretty rich, though. He, he, he's still he's pretty rich. rich. Not, not as rich as he used to be, but he's doing alright for himself. And yet he's been spiritually castrated. Alright. Uh... I mean, I just spent past half hour going over his sort of going over uh, his complex history. Uh, lead with that, Tormson. What do you mean by spiritually castrated?
1: <clears throat>
0: That's just a turn of phrase. Um, but I think All it right.
1: probably is apt for this particular situation. Um, because I believe in this. this, what I'm going to do today. Um, it's not really aimed at our normal audience so much as it's aimed at Alex himself because I think I have figured something out. We know, your and now this, for once, I think Alex has surrounded himself by a lot of people, do a yes men who tell him what he wants to hear or tell him what he thinks he wants to hear. Um, but also, he has been put into a situation where his own prejudices and the prejudices of those around him have affected the way he thinks. And this is part of the plan, I believe. He, There is a perception in the occult underground about what Alex Abel almost became, what he almost ascended as. And there is like a inherent sort of underlying assumption that it has something to do with him being a black man in america now it does but not in the way that people think the perception of it has been tainted by racial identity politics but in a way that distracts rather than clarifies now
0: this has affected even abel himself um yeah, because one of the things it, that if, gets thrown around as a potential is the fucking, is the archetype of the white black man. Yes, I don't really think of that as a particularly culturally significant archetype on a global level. That's it. That's it. There's actually two these yeah. problems with, there are three um, main uh, theories,
1: hypotheses about what Alex almost ascended as in 1990. One of them is the white black man, then there is the man who succeeded where you should have, and then there is the uh, Algerian hero. Now, each of these is wrong, in my opinion. Let's hit the, um, because the me the reason, and you just touched on it just then, is that When you ascend to the invisible clergy, you do not ascend as a stereotype. You ascend as an archetype. You embody universal values that could apply to anybody in any society, in any time in history, or at least in our society now, in our zeitgeist at the moment. You are a whole new type of person, a whole new form of person, and... The White Mac man is both too specific and too vague because it's too linked up with the American historical experience. But yeah. the thing is, the invisible clergy is guided by the collective unconsciousness. And this is the problem. This is one of the, the bias in exhibited by the feds towards American culture in the war game. is problematic mainly because it ignores the fact that there's over a billion people in India, there's over a billion people in China, there's billions of people all over the world, and all of these yep. people, they make up the collective unconsciousness. So, when you get into the specifics of something like the white black man, the fact that it's it's vaguely racist is is almost irrelevant. It's the problem of- It's not universal. The Id- It's not universal, because a black man seen as white is not universal, and it's also- Paradoxically, too broad because it covers too many different things. Like, what could it be? Like, some for some person, it could be the token. But what's the token? The token is an outsider, and the outsider is an archetype I've heard of, and he wasn't an outsider.
0: An outsider who's granted conditional insider status, exactly. That's right, that's right. Another thing is people say,
1: oh, he's an Uncle Tom. What's an Uncle Tom? That's something closer to a collaborator. And that's another archetype that I've heard tell of. But that's a thing. Like these things kind of interfere with each other. And also, they both tied up in the US racial experience, so like what a white black man is. But the problem is, there's too many ways to be white, there's too many ways to be black, there's too many ways to be a man, and there's altogether too many ways to be a white black man, and none of them quite fit Alex Abel and his life. Um, yep. So maybe his detractors or his biographers, they might call him like a token or Uncle Tom or whatever, but that's just, those are snarl words. That's just, like, it's
0: jealousy and or it's, it's not resentment. Like, it's not like i just went over his life we we just spent a good amount of time going over experiences it's not like he was ever very concretely linked to ever cashing in on like his racial status with and like selling you know quote-unquote selling out in any way right no he was just a very successful black man in a very white dominated field at the time but also, he was dodgy as all hell, which yeah. reduces his link to both the token
1: and like the Uncle Tom, because yeah. he, he w- did he didn't act like a platonic ideal of yeah. the Black Uncle Tom. And he but wasn't he, you know, trying
0: to be like the good one, right? No, he was dodgy no. and up to a bunch of sketchy shit. Yes, that's right. But that's right. All that sketchy shit was pretty much entirely divorced from his racial status. Yeah, because he, yeah, he was sketchy because he was a a capitalist
1: investment fucking broker guy in the eighties. Yeah.
0: He was he was part of the general
1: zeitgeist. guys. Yeah, he was,
0: he, he was a fucking shark. It's not because he was black. It's because he was a fucking shark.
1: It's exactly, and that was too much part of his public persona. For these sort of very racialized ideas of what the archetype to be to make any sense whatsoever, uh, so the white black man can be discarded easily. Um, the
0: next one, which is some semi-related, is the man who succeeded where you should have. That one and- was the one I always <clears throat> leaned to because while it's not something you see a lot in like you know popular culture or film or whatnot, I think there is that is a figure. Maybe I would maybe put it as man. Uh, so much as the one who succeeded where you should have, I think a lot of people have that idea. It's is there r- enough of a shared idea of that to build an archetype out of it? No, no. It's the same. It has the
1: same problem of the interpretation of the naked goddess as the woman everyone can have, but you. It's too relative, it's too subjective, it's too positional. Because if, for example, if you're looking at the man who's, who's, who succeeded where you should have, it's quite possible for two different people with two different lives to, to feel resentment over the success of the other one, to feel that the other one was the one who succeeded where they should have. But so which one is it? Which one's the, if, if they're equally, like who's the one who, who's the archetype? No one is seen by everyone as the man who succeeded where you should have well i would
0: argue i would argue that the naked goddess shows that you can't ascend as an archetype like that it's just when you ascend as an archetype like that you are forcibly stripped of all specificity you are rendered very close to a blank slate Let's not get distracted by our ongoing
1: debate over the nature of the Naked Naked Goddess because we'll be here all day. That has to be its own episode. All right. Now. Even, like, racist people in the 1980s who looked at Alex Abel and said, oh, fuck that guy, they're not going to look at him and say, like, it should have been me. I should have been America's sexiest black bachelor of 1988. They're not going to think like that. They're just going to have generalized racial (laughs) resentment. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I know I know you ran.
0: I know you were yourself. I'm sorry. It wasn't gonna happen. It was a it was an interesting I didn't even objective. Get in, I didn't even get in the first running. Now this is what I co- that's the real discrimination right there. I that's didn't right. even get into the qualifier think. bracket, damn it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I feel that the the potent,
1: the um possibly the the popularity of this interpretation in the occult underground is partially due to racial biases and partially due to Abel's own insecurities about his position. He's kind of encouraging him.
0: Something that I think doesn't get uh, brought up enough about the occult underground, there's a lot of very racist people around here. Yeah. Of course there are. Yeah. They're usually racist in very idiosyncratic ways as you might expect by Depths. But... Idiosyncratic bigotries sometimes come out as bigotries towards very idiosyncratic groups. Sometimes they come out as bigotries towards very standard groups that manifest in very idiosyncratic ways. That's right. But the
1: problem is, whenever you... Bring these like racial biases to the table when you're. D- Don't bring a racial bias to a metaphysics discussion because yeah. it's kind of
0: it's not helping you at exist. all. <laughs> it yeah, do- it doesn't fucking <laughs> exist. No, racism, as- racism exists. We know it. No, race exists. doesn't. Race. race doesn't. That's yes. That's, that's, yeah, so that's right, right. right. Race doesn't exist. Racism does, and that does to get get to be kind of a wibbly wobbly thing with how the sasphere works, but. One of the things with racism is that it's very localized and rarely universal enough that you can really build solid archetypes out of it. No way, no way. Um, because it has to be applied to
1: everything and there's too many different forms of prejudice in the world. It's like if, there was gonna, if there's going to be um, racialized archetypes, there would be class-based archetypes and there'd be all well, kinds of things.
0: Those do they exist. do,
1: but they're not. They're they're a product of the material realities, and in a way that I don't know. It's just don't. I I feel that I don't know what things were like in terms of uh, divisions among humanity in earlier versions of the cosmos. But I don't think they were like we got, uh, because what we yeah. got is very much based on shit that happened in our history as much as insofar as it's not hollow Um, so I think Alex Abel had maybe had a bit of a he could have had a bit of a suppressed imposter syndrome to an extent but not majorly and I think more to the point I think the whole like um, man who succeeded where you should have attitude he probably picked that up from his white peers at the time other sharks you know but I don't think the general public necessarily thought that way um because people if you look at another example of a um, prominent black man um obama who got a lot of crazy shit but people weren't
0: saying like oh hussein obama i should have been the president like no yeah (laughs) i think obama generally is more well liked than alex abel is well yeah okay that's true, because Alex Abel never wanted to be liked. And that's no, important. No, Alex doesn't like give a shit about uh, being liked. That's not how you succeed in the world he lived in and became successful in. I'm I'm sure politics, that yeah, it's nice to be liked.
1: In another like I'm sure the Republican Party would have loved to run him in
0: ninety six oh, against yeah. Clinton. Oh
1: yeah. But that didn't turn out that way.
0: Now, well, some last- of the other universes he wins in 2016, but we're, we're talking about ours. <laughs> yep. He wins different years. Um, yeah. Now, the last
1: major hypothesis is the Algerian hero. And Algerian meaning Horatio Alger. I don't know. Horatio oh, okay. Alger, the Achiever. Uh, the Algerian hero is the idea, that it's a rags-to-riches story, the capitalist dream, mm, someone who works exactly. hard, and makes a success, of, a success of himself. And if you look at the overall sort of structure of his life, it does seem to fit. But again, it's weakened by the fact that he was a successful black man in a white man's world, which made it more difficult. And in that sense, he wasn't going to be perceived as having pulled himself up by his own Bootstraps. They would like a lot of people in the public imagination because of racism. They were going to say, "Oh, he's only successful because he's black."
0: Um, that it also wait wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying so? If this was the case, that would imply that the status sphere has a glass ceiling. No. It doesn't have a glasses at all.
1: It, it, this is this is just why he doesn't fit this particular archetype. Archetype, at all. but
0: there's a lot of archetypes that don't apply to people as well because there's sort of a implicit bigotry that's like, oh, my idea of this archetype is a white person. That's not yeah, that's not
1: the only reason though. <clears throat> it's part of it. It's part of the, perce- the the collective unconsciousness's perception. But only part. A larger or maybe equal problem was the fact that he was hell dodgy and he was definitely up to some financial chicanery and everyone knew it. That's not Horatio
0: Alger. That's yeah, not no, this the isn't, rags to riches. Yeah, this isn't, you know, a fucking Charles Dickens character, right? No, he was Horatio Alger wasn't made of Teflon,
1: and he didn't yeah. like stab his business partners in the back. Um, that's
0: actually, as far as I know, I didn't read the, I yeah. haven't read any Horatio Alger books, so I'm just assuming. Also, yeah, I, I uh, uh, but. I thought you're talking about like Algeria, not Ratio Alger. It it took it took me a while to get that too. Um, I was yeah. like, What the hell is the Algerian here?" It took a while for me to realize this is what the feds are talking well, yeah, about. Yeah, that's like that's um, a lot of these things. Like all these archetypes that are like I look at that, it's like you know, sometimes the archetypes are given fucking weird names by people in the occult underground, you know, like the Heisenberg Messenger and all that shit, right? But Yes. Um that usually they do gesture at some sort of universal archetype, even if the name that Chargers come up with for them doesn't feel universal in the fucking slightest. Mm. But yeah, no, I get it. It's like okay, the the, the rag to ri- the Rags to Riches guy doesn't have as catchy a title as the Algerian hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's it's a bit of like an insider inside baseball like um,
1: term. Now, what's important about this? Now we've these three. The main hypothesis, Alex. None of these are the right one. So what? was it? What was it about Alex Abel that put him on a really fucking short list, a list of human qualities that will be preserved after the collapse and rebirth of the universe? Because metaphysics doesn't have affirmative action. It doesn't have a racial bias. So what made Alex Abel special? What made him unique and yet so universal that he almost achieved apotheosis without even knowing it? What was he doing? The answer to this can be found in the U.S. State Department 1989 report, Patterns of Global Terrorism, which begins with the line.
0: All right. I'm excited. You have my ear. You have my interest. The report
1: begins the year 1989 saw a steep decline in the number of terrorist acts committed worldwide, one of the sharpest yearly drops we have recorded since the advent of modern terrorism in 1968, the year MLK was assassinated, and Alex Abel decided he didn't want to be a particularly small kind of bad man. He wanted to do something else.
0: This a big kind of bad
1: man, all right. Uh, well, I don't think he wanted to be a bad man, that's it because he saw himself, it is described and you were mentioning that it was written in an insensitive way but it was important that he realised there was a sort of within American society there was a kind of moral high ground as a black man Um, but that wasn't enough because MLK got shot Um, so it wasn't about having the moral high ground and even just having the wealth, it wasn't enough, action was needed but it wasn't the kind of action that he didn't need to be the president he didn't need to get a position he was alex Abel. he had the money he just needed to do something to improve the world so what did he do he had bad people killed but he did it in secret so he didn't do it for personal gain he didn't do it for clout he didn't do it for any sort of name He'd, and he didn't do it lightly. He made sure who he needed to kill needed to die. So he, and he, the goal was to protect the innocent. And he did it because it was the right thing to do in his eyes. He took on the responsibility and he didn't ask for permission. This was forming in his mind, this idea was forming in his mind in the late 70s and early 80s. And we can see a reflection of the, I- of the idea that was forming in Alex Abel's mind in another country's pop culture. Because what Alex Abel was making himself into can be described as
0: judge, jury, and executioner. Does that remind you of anyone? I'll be real you, man. The only thing coming to mind is fucking Death Note. 26th of this
1: February, 1977, Judge Dredd was introduced for the first time to the British oh, market God. in 2000 AD. This was a time when Alex Abel, this was less than ten years after the MLK assassination, this was before he became rich, but when the idea was forming in his mind, he's fantasizing about what could he could do if he just had some more power. Just had some more influence. Now, this so this is different because I don't Judge Dredd was official within his world, so I don't think it's the same thing. I think it was mystical backwash to a potential Um, new archetype because the 1980s was when you started to see the popularity of vigilantes in the media as well and I believe this is now this is someone who takes it upon himself to destroy evil and I think this archetype was a threat to an archetype it was a different archetype this vigilante the powerful vigilante who is it a threat to sitting in the uh, in the invisible clergy the inquisitor hmm Hence, the new Inquisition. That was when the new Inquisition formed and it was given that name. Why was it given that name? He doesn't even know. It's because it's the Inquisitor's little joke. The Inquisitor manipulated Emil and it manipulated, um, what's his name? The Heisenberg Messenger, um, Dermot Arcane as well. The Inquisitor had Dermot Arcane. I reckon it was a deal to get the Heisenberg Messenger up there. Um, This was a deal between the... This is support for the Inquisitor to Dermot Arcane's attempt to become the new messenger. It's because Dermot Arcane unseating the messenger was huge. He needed support in the Invisible Clergy. The Inquisitor wanted to make sure that Alex Abel stayed on the earth. So he got Dermot Arcane to come up and say some crazy shit in his car and get kicked out. And it knocked Alex Abel off his path. The keys, what are the keys about? I figured out what the keys are. And it all links up... To the Gather gang. I don't know how to pronounce this. This,
0: it all goes back to trouble in Denmark. <clears throat> so, what you're saying so far is that the new Inquisition was just kind of. It's. I was able to hit with the same fate that Erica Fisher did, where. Mm-hmm. The, they failed to ascend and then are stuck in the trappings mm-hmm. of the archetype they're almost going to apl- almost going to replace as sort of a ironic punishment slash yep. the archetype taunting them. Interesting. All right. Because and
1: this all links into activities that Alex Abel was engaged in because he upgraded quickly from child molesters and pedophiles in the U.S. to more international things. And you thought that the assassination of the European terrorist mastermind was some exaggeration, but I don't think it was. I think he did. And I think that
0: that Who happened. Was this
1: guy? Yeah. This is a problem. I can't find out. I could find traces of him. I think he was in secret. I think he was something like a dark stalker. I think he was an archetype of some kind, possibly a god walker. Yeah, what
0: sorts of terrorist acts was he doing? This is a good question.
1: And I, because I believe it links to two groups... Um, I want to get to what happened in... I want to get to why this particular European terrorist mastermind was in Buenos Aires when he was killed by Abel later. But I wa- first want to get into this group. Um, let me see if I can pronounce it. Um, it is the the Blakinga Street Gang. Or Plinga... I don't know. I can't speak Danish. All right? So... These guys were a group of about a dozen politically motivated criminal activists who were inspired by communist ideology who, during the 1970s and 80s, committed a number of highly professional robberies in Denmark and set the money to the Popular Front for the liberation of Palestine.
0: Okay, now, what's interesting so kind about of that's them? kind of a Danish weather underground.
1: Yes. Now, it's interesting that they were communists because it's a nice um, mirror image to... Uh, Alex Abel's um, full, like hard, raw. Yeah. Through it, tooth and claw. Hyper competitive, ultra capitalism. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now they. What's interesting is how much I, when I read about these guys, I'm reminded of um, TNI, because they were famous for the professionalism of their heists. um They were made up of two, and what was really interesting, which I'm not sure how important this is, um, but they were made up of three organizations, um, an inner core, if you will, that were known by the acronyms KAK, KUF, and KA slash MKA. The K, K, and K, which I think they weren't aware of, but it's symbolism, it's symbolism. That's, That's some solid synchronicity there. Yes, because they are—they weren't racist at all, but their lack of racism is why I think they had a link, um, because they did oppose what Alex Abel was trying to do in a more symbolic kind of way. Now, let's yeah. go into the criminal star, the MO of this group. Now... These guys were notable because they were very hard to track down because they maintained absolute secrecy, didn't say anything on the phone, made sure they were not followed. They had very good um, trade craft. They didn't tell their closest family what they were doing. They planned their highest in advance. They did good surveillance. They used stolen identities to rent cars, false driver's license to rent apartments. Um, they had professional counter-surveillance techniques. um, So they were able to keep one step ahead of the cops. They used masks and theatrical makeup to complete disguises. They did never reveal their political affiliation or motives. Um, They never carried any papers with their real names or addresses. And they had very good equipment for a bunch of communist Danish um, revolutionaries. And they were also known Interestingly, during their when they did the heist, they were known to be extremely brutal and scary. For the reason of they wanted to act hit quick, hit fast, take the loot, and they they it, they described as they don't want the victims to do anything except flee or freeze. But at the same time, they avoided human casualties at the same, um, while they're doing it. This reminds me a lot of how TNI operated in the 1990s, but in terms of the occult underground rather than this sort of yeah. communist um, rebellion. And I think that is another little joke on the part of the sitting inquisitor. Um, because this, these guys link interestingly, because the history of the Ble- Blekinga gang
0: is weird. Real fucking weird. Anything about them wearing raincoats? I haven't found that yet, but and this is only one of two that you got right. Yes, um, this is this is the thing that
1: happened before he ascended. One of two major events that happened just before he ascended. Um, now the Blackinga Street Gang didn't or It wasn't always known by that because they were known by that because of the street in which they had all their armaments and all their equipment that was eventually discovered in 1989 by the Danish police. Now, where these people came from, it goes back a long way. It goes all the way back to 1963 and the Sino-Soviet split. Um, So, after Stalin died and Khrushchev made his speech about how Stalin was a dick and the Chinese took offence, the communist world split in two and this affected the communist movements around the world. Um, Now, the Communist Party of Denmark sided with Moscow, but one man, Gottfried Apple, decided he didn't want that. He didn't like that. Now, Gottfried Apple was a weird fucking guy. Now, he grew up in a middle-class home and he did quite well in school, but when he was about in his when he was a teenager, he rebelled. He set his own his parents' house on fire, and he ended up being arrested and sent for psychiatric examination. And he was um, diagnosed as having a flat emotional life and sexual puberty lack of balance, whatever the fuck that means. And there are some stories of All this right. guy got Fred Apple. Um, Weird behavior, bizarre behavior. There's one story about how he approached an unknown lady on a pedestrian street in Copenhagen and asked her whether she had a hammer for no reason. Why a hammer? Um, All this sort of thing all came together. This weird behavior and starting fires and strange things left him. He was subjected to child supervision for two years, but eventually he passed his high school examinations and he ended up studying literature at Copenhagen University uh, where he he got a gold medal. He got an award for his dissertation on Shakespeare and became a member of the Communist Party, the Denmark's Communist Party. And he got a job working as a reviewer on literature in a newspaper, the party newspaper, which is called Land and Folk, I believe. Now, the problem was he was too much of a Maoist, and he didn't like the fact that the DKP, which was the Communist Party of Denmark, was siding with Moscow, so he formed his own little group, which was called the KAK, the Communistic arbeidskretz which meant a uh, communist work circle. And his plan was to push them towards Mao Zedong thought. And for his efforts, he was kicked out of the DKP and ended up getting a job at the Chinese embassy where he established a publishing house called Futura, which translated like Chinese propaganda and bulletins and made Danish copies of the Little Red Book and did like things like that. Now, he developed his theory about his own um, ideology, as, if you will, about... Um, how things were going his theory was called either leech state theory or parasite state theory which is the not uncommon idea that the rich countries exploiting the third world were exploiting the third world to such an extent that they were able to buy off their own working classes
0: into supporting bourgeois capitalism now yeah, this, is, this is um, I've heard this. God. what's the very famous American book that, the, that, that that's just been the basic tenet of Maoist or worldism isn't it Basically, it was from that line of
1: thought. Um, it was pretty early on. So he would look at Danish social welfare and decided this is why communism isn't taking over. Now, this is interesting because the way it's described does sound like he's talking about how people, the, um, the downtrodden, the working class, they end up buying into the system that exploits the rest of the world. Reminds me of Alex Abel, in a way. Um, so that could be some link. We're getting some links here, right? Now, Yeah, I know there's some interesting parallels here. <clears throat> now, he worked... Um, now, his little communist work circle wasn't going very well by himself. He was like a one-man circle of this weird guy who worked at the Chinese embassy, right? But he met two people that were very, very interesting the first was um, because this is what a woman he already knew his name her name was ulla horton um and she became his mistress and his second wife now she was a journalist at 10 years of his junior um and the description of like how they hooked up was very interesting because apparently up to this point, he had been a happily married man with no problems in like a quiet house with his wife and teenage daughters. And then one day he just came, picked up his clothes, his books and his typewriter and left and never came back Um, because he had been, he decided he was going to go and live and be with his mistress who also joined his group, the KAK. Um, it's a tale as old as time now go back to the naked goddess and uh, potential um, ideas there's a popular idea that naked goddess was the is the femme fatale but i don't believe that but i think this woman could have been an avatar of the femme fatale but not possibly not the only avatar in his area in his uh
0: that affected him tale as old as time literature genius um Defects to the... Uh, sorry. Defects to the communist embassy. Starts out putting literature. And then leaves his wife and happy marriage and family for his journalist mistress. Tale is old right. time.
1: He also had a bad friend. He met a bad man. His man, name was Jens Holger Jensen. Now... What I liked about this when I first read about him is he's described in the in way that the war game would um, put as a bunch of identities. He's called a firefighter, paramedic, and karate expert. It's Excellent. like oh, oh, <laughs> Perfect.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I trust I this man believe, already.
0: Well, you shouldn't because I believe. This man knows what he's doing. He can fight fires and people.
1: Mm-hmm. However, he was known for having a particularly strong double character. He was able to... He had... Really good manners. He had lots of girlfriends. He was always good at parties. He was liked by his colleagues at the fire brigade, and he's liked by his family. He was, he was described as a tall, elegant, blonde fellow, the Germanic type and the dream of every mother-in-law. Yeah. No one knew he was a terrorist, that he wanted to be a terrorist. He was a terrorist for years, and none of his friends or family knew. So I believe that he was a two-faced man as well. Um, this is why as you don't hang things. out with
0: people with more than four identities on the character sheet. <laughs> That's right. You can't trust them. You can't trust them. Now, from a lot of
1: weird shit happened. So, from 19... In the 60s up to 1970, they mostly did um, a bunch of demonstrations, but they started supporting the PFLP, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, now, they also had a hand in. They were also somewhat uh, linked... To the hijacking of the LL Al airliner in Rome, that was considered the first, like the the birth of modern first, terrorism. Yeah, uh, the first yeah. airplane hijacking, now, right? Yes, 1968. Well, the first so, like, while,
0: the mo- modern airplane hijacking, commercial yeah. flight hijacking, if I remember correctly.
1: Yes, and so while that's wait a minute, hold on, let me just check this. Because that's pre DB Cooper, right? Yep. Um, one second. So that's only a few months after MLK was assassinated and Alex Abel had his change of heart, which might be relevant in 1968. So these guys, the um, so I mentioned that there was the KUF and the KAMKA. The KUF was the youth wing of the um, this group, the KAK. How, the-
0: how many kids were they recruiting? Lots. They were a few, a few kids. Because yeah, like and what I'm seeing currently is there's, like three members of these guys. Have they expanded by this point? They have expanded to a few members. All They've right, got KUF members. Right. Like okay. I, I'm sticking to these three because, like at the moment, because they're the most no, important. No, yeah, I gotcha. The, the, this this sounds like a cabal. I get you. These are the most. Yes. um mm interesting and out there characters but yeah i do want to yes. i do want to get a sense of the size of the organization at this point so yeah it's expanded yes, by this yes. point and they're apparently recruiting by youth wing do you mean like actual kids or is this like teenagers and shit teenagers teenagers for the most part teenagers flush
1: flush with Maoist uh you know spirit it was the time Revolve of the evolution yeah, i i i get yes, it, yes, I get yes. it. <laughs> So, they were doing violent demonstrations against the Vietnam War. They protested the John Wayne movie, The Green Berets, in 1969. And they started, you know, doing real things. They also attacked a, um, a conference center in 1970 in an unsuccessful attempt to prevent the 1970 World Bank Summit. Uh, so, they were up to things. What's this things. Attack I was open like? like uh, they were they my attack. Through they threw molotov cocktails at the co- at the conference oh, center classic. all right yes all right now things got a bit weird in the 70s from 1970 to 1977 because um they were doing criminal things and they were doing political things um now they got more involved with the the Palestinian movement um they got involved with a man named Wadi Haddad who was a um a Palestinian uh, liberationists of the time period um they had negotiations and they worked with him um because this is a time when there was lots of interaction between you know Middle Eastern and European um groups of this kind um but there was a we weir- a bunch of weird shit happened in 1977 um when it <laughs> was a, there was a <laughs> they decided to have um Well, Ulla Horton decided to have um, a feminist civil war in the middle of the organization. Mm, Now, now what was happening was there were more and more female members of the group, but they were being frustrated by not having any central role in the organization, uh, which was typical of the time period. And it was uh, like, basically, it was male chauvinism. um, In the left, um,
0: which is... Which it was is, a legitimate bad. thing. And yeah, there's a reason yes. women's lib happened l- the way it did. Yes. Um, and I think that's how she got a lot of
1: support from the other female members. But when they actually um, staged their feminist coup uh, within the organization, um, they did it in the form of um, struggle sessions in which they uh, basically drove the, <laughs> the Men of the organization to, to emotional breakdowns and uh, psychic like collapse. And I think this was more to do with Ulla than the group in general. Um, but it did end with... Um, it ended in a similar way. It was an interesting... It's a similar um, parallel to what happened to Mao's wife um, and her gang of four in China and how she pushed a bit too hard and ended up getting... Losing her support because Ula lost her support because the solidarity of the women's group um, fell apart because they realised that like putting all these putting the men into a room and like slapping them a lot wasn't actually what they wanted to do that um, it wasn't helping things. But this allowed this meant that God and Godfriend Apple, who was meant to be in charge, was it was really
0: like not paying much attention to the. He was like. Not involving himself. He was like, well, he was like, was like I want deal with this. Paying, yeah, how much was it not him not paying attention versus the fact that his, I mean, I assume at this point they were married. It was his yes. second wife that was in charge of this. So yes. I wouldn't be surprised if he was actually tacitly supporting this behind the scenes. Yes, I think he was, but I think he
1: was wishy-washy because yeah. what ended up happening is they get kicked out of the organization, they get they withdraw and uh, Holger Jensen, Jens Holger Jensen, he takes over. So I think this was another case of a of cabal, it's a political cabal where there's a little a little mini power struggle between two avatars and it gets manifested in the form of whatever politics is going on at the time and I think that Holger Jensen was the one that came up on top. Now, this sort of changed things into how the organization was running because it, came, it became a lot more actively criminal and it became much more um, professional. Now, some weird things happened though because uh, old
0: Jensen gets himself killed in a very weird way these parallels with the um, '70s leftist groups are interesting because you see some of those within the New Inquisition itself, the Weather Channelers. Exactly, exactly. See this? You know, it's it's history doesn't repeat; it rhymes. Um, Thanks, Lucas. Great prophet of the status sphere, Jorge Lucas. Basically,
1: this meant that Apple was fucked. Uh, there wasn't much to go. Like he he was out of it. He was out of the organization. Now. He ended up losing his life, so these are these are the three guys are so the three ones who raise this is like mac attacks in a way the three people who run it end up getting the, the shaft, but Holger yeah. Jensen gets a weird kind of shaft because he was uh he had a friend named Niels Jorgensen I've got some who of those will become of important name. for the next now they were um planning to commit uh an attack on a money transport outside a
0: supermarket
1: in Ireland.
0: It is just kind of crazy how this sort of shit never gets talked about now. Yes, Like, the Unabomber (laughs) and um, the Oklahoma City bombing. All that, you know, sure, that's the 90s and stuff. Is a bit more recent, but it's not that much more recent at this point. That stuff gets talked about tons, and then this shit is just like, oh, yeah, no, there was a bunch of Maoist bombings. Across yep. Europe at the time. Yep. <laughs> it
1: happens. I'm relying on, like, um, a document from the Wayback Machine that's clearly translated, like, automatically from Danish yeah. to English. So, like, yeah, you no, have to it's, think it's for it's this kind of shit.
0: nuts. Well, I'm like, you know, there's a group like this in the United States, too. There's groups like this in the yep. UK.
1: Yep. So... Holger Jensen and his friend Neil Jorgensen is meant to be his old friend, right? And this guy, Neil Jorgensen, is described as a lab technician and Holger Jensen's best friend. And Um, that's the other
0: thing. Like, Neil Jorgensen sounds like a player character name. Yes. This sounds like, all right, I need you... Like, imagine the GM being like, all right, I need you guys to come up with Danish player character names. This is my character... Neil Jorgensen? So they are getting ready to take on, like they're preparing to get this money transport,
1: right? And they're sitting there in the car across from a bank. Now, Neil gets out of the car. Neil Jorgensen gets out of the car and he goes away. And the driver of a truck in the opposite lane suddenly loses consciousness because of an insulin related insulin oh my God. drives full oh speed across the lane God. and smashes into the car killing holger on the spot while niels he just watched looks on from the distance looks Holy on shit that's fucking ridiculous the, the tr- there was a translation um of a message in arabic that um the that um was sent back to the PFLP, the Palestinian group, to um, the Italian intelligence service, and the message was, the apple has gone home to God. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> because, anyway. So this was well, obviously engineered then, yeah. Holy shit.
0: Oh, yeah. not. I don't think not by the Palestinians, but by no, uh, no, things. No, no, things. no, no, no. no yeah, thing, forces beyond their or our control. Yes. Now, yes, exactly. Well, now our control us too. You know, remember, I always remember, you did it. Now that's right.
1: Now in the eighties, so they're all gone. They're all gone, and I, pretty much deals is in control now. This guy, his so-called best friend, right? Um, now they're working in the early eighties. They're working with. Um, Uh, PFLP, um, compiling uh, documents, compiling a file of potential Mossad operatives in Denmark. Um, And there's a whole thing about um, that. They ended up getting in trouble for that for espionage. Um, That came up in their trial. Um, They also robbed postal workers carrying uh, cash to banks uh, a bunch of times. They broke into a Swedish army depot in 1982, stealing a whole bunch of heavy weaponry, bazookas, anti-personnel mines, plastic explosives, boxes of ammunition, all decked out, pretty much as well-armed as TNI would be 10 years later. Um, so these guys were intense. So it's interesting that they crossed the border to, atta- to uh, raid these Swedish police stations and then took them back to Denmark, which I, yeah. I enjoy. It's always what you should do. Um, Is there a pulse there? That's right. They even tried to hit a Norwegian army depot. but That didn't work out uh, because they just had too many Swedish guns. They didn't need more. <laughs> they didn't need Norwegian ones. Um, what a great problem they, to have. Now, what's interesting is these stolen weapons were carefully packaged and buried in various forests near Vienna, Zurich, and Paris for later pickup by PFLP or its allies, Um, and one of these caches was discovered by French police. So this is where we're starting to get the, hmm, this is very European-wide. This seems like a mastermind-type thing, you know? Maybe there's someone else involved. God, these guys are well-organized. Holy shit. Now, with the funding from the Palestinians, they planned to kidnap a man named uh, John Rousing, who was the uh, son of a... Swedish industrialist named Gad Rausing, um, to they planned to demand a $25 million ransom, and this failed seconds before it could happen on January 7th, 1985. Now, this will be important later because this is not the first time that... I don't think this was their idea. I don't think this was their idea. Now, things came to an end um, due to the fact that they moved in to... A, this not, not immediately, But what they did was they moved into an apartment on Blekinga Street in Copenhagen um, that it was rented in the name of a fictitious computer club and had all the documents signed with a stolen identity. Yeah, this is very 80s. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, so they robbed, ba- they robbed um, a bunch of places. They did car thefts and heists and all sorts of things. In uh, 1986, they stole the Christmas winter takings of the Danish clothing mega store <laughs> from a clothing mega store, um, Dale's Warehouse. Um, and in this in this uh, robbery, they. It's described as they fought off several shop employees, including the security chief, a former elite soldier who sustained a fractured skull from pistol beating. Therefore, they developed a new soft
0: baton designed not to cause skull fractures. And they they, they so, came to about. <laughs> that, it sounds like a fucking encounter. That sounds like the GM being like, "Fuck, fuck, okay, I need to throw some actual, I, I need to throw some actual like pressure against these guys." Um. Okay, security chief of this department store is former special forces. All right. Scene. You know. You see this big rippling vascular ass bald dude in the security are in the security guard <laughs> outfit running Same. between the shoe <laughs> and the dress aisle. Yeah, he's like yep. six foot four. Yep. Now you see how this is all. I'm just like this is all very. Mm, this is all very relevant. No, I, I. Okay, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. But what's what happened with the um the struggle session lady at this point? Oh, is, she's is on. she she's out of the story. Out. She's, she's out. out. She's out. Out, out of the right. story. Right. Out of the story. But that's that was just too interesting not to mention. No, no, that is like thank you. Like that that is absolutely something you should bring up because holy shit. It all
1: came to an end in 1989 because of. What was called the main post office robbery of October 31st... Oh no, November 2nd, uh, 1980... Oh, this was... Okay, this happened in 1988. I'm sorry. I mixed things up. 1988 was when they pulled off the main post office robbery. Now... How they planned this was uh, apparently october 31st halloween 1988 was payday for a bunch of people um so they would begin their christmas shopping the next day now on tuesdays um shops on the tuesday which was november uh, all shops around the country uh deposited their takings in drop boxes at local retail bank branches so in the morning of Wednesday, November 2nd, 1988, um, these bank branches were going to count the deposits and credit them to the shop's accounts. And there was going to be, they were going to move this money. They were going to move this money. Now, a bunch of these gang members, the Blekinga gang members, uh, and their names were Torquil Lowerson, Jan Wyman, Niels Jorgensen, Carsten Nielsen and Mark Rudin. Um, You've heard of Niels, and the important thing here is this guy, Carsten Nielsen. He was the getaway driver, and he will become important later. So they met in their hideout uh, at Plikinagada, and they put their plan into action. They stole a bunch of cars and parked them in strategic locations, and they parked a Toyota Hi-Ace van across from the back gate of the post office. Now... They had this well planned out. They knew that at four at four twenty-five in the morning, uh, all the postal trains will deliver the mail at the postal rail terminal between Copenhagen Central Station and the Copenhagen Police Headquarters. Uh, and they knew at four fifty, the money was going to be loaded into from the trains into a yellow armored postal van with the call sign eight eight six K five B, and it had a driver and a guard. Now, they knew that the van had a direct link to Police HQ, but they didn't know that. They didn't know that. They thought the... Um, actually, no, sorry. Um, the van had a direct radio link to the Police HQ, but the gang thought they only had a radio link to the postal headquarters, who would have had right. to phone the police. So they had a timer of two minutes. They think that we had to go in and get out, and get out this bunny before the cops come. Um, we had two minutes, basically. So what happened was at five o'clock, five a.m. eight 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 six left the postal terminal, going for the main post office. And at five o two, they passed a patrol car, and at five o three, they passed the town hall square where they were spotted by Carsten Nielsen, the getaway guy, the getaway driver, who signaled, who radioed the rest of the gang. Um, He jumps on a bicycle and pedals after the orange van, Um, while in the city. Um, the gang, the rest of the gang are in a stolen Ford Escort. They put a blue police light on it and drive to the post office. Now, two of the gangs are dressed as uniformed policemen and another two are dressed as detectives, right? <laughs> um, so they arrive at the back post office back gate and they start questioning the gatekeeper saying that they've they're looking for the perpetrators of an assault nearby which they just made up and while they the two dressed as cops they pretend to search the yard for this fictitious assaulter um so the postal van um, slows to th- drives through um the town, and the plan was initially that Carsten Nielsen was going to f- stage a fake bicycle accident um, to attack it there. But they decided not to do that. They decided to wait till it gets to the post office, which they had Why they had um, <laughs> they had their costumes on, right? So at five thirteen and forty seconds, they broke their cover and attacked the guard when the just as the postal as the van is arriving, and the driver immediately calls in the robbery. Now they thought that they would have two minutes, and they actually had a timer. They started a timer to make sure that they would get out, but they didn't know that right near them, passing the church of the Holy Ghost, was a patrol car um, with uh, an officer and a, a rookie partner whose name was Jesper Hansen, and they responded. Um, now while these guys were robbing the tr- robbing the, um, the truck, yeah a truck yeah they knocked over a cage a money cage and the driver heard this and said oh god they're shooting because the bang of the cage sounded like a gunshot so the cops come believing that that shots have already been fired um so but they get all their loot and they um Get it into the like. Get it out of the van. Get it into their Ford Escort. And at five fifteen and nineteen seconds, they've they've loaded it. Oh, they've loaded into into their van. Jumped in the back, and they're about to leave with twenty one seconds to spare. And they come driving out, and the cops are waiting for them. And they open fire uh, because they believe that the somewhat that one of the gang is already shot. So they get a fire as soon as they come out. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They miss. Now, one bullet hit the storefront. The other bullet went through a back window, missed the gang members, ricocheted off the side of the van and lodged itself into the driver's seat cushion about an inch short of Carsten Nielsen's back. I don't know what that means, but it's going to come up in a way. One one of the gang members, which might have been, it's either um, Niels or it's another one, probably Niels, um, jumps out and fires a, shotgun at the cops and hits Jesper Hansen in the head the rookie cop gets shot in the head again this sounds like a wargaming situation um, so they all get in the van and drive away but now this is a problem they've killed a cop now the cops yeah. are real pissed off um, they, they're they in trouble they're in real trouble but they're clever they're clever in the fact that they think that they've covered their tracks and even if they are arrested, they're not going to be able to link them back to their activities. So a couple of months later, April 1989, the police arrest most of them, everyone except um, Carsten Nielsen. Everyone gets arrested and they search their homes and their workplaces and they don't find anything useful. They can't find anything except identical sets of keys. And this is what got me interested. Now, they knew that these keys were oh for the gang's secret hideout. They didn't know where it was. Didn't know where it was. And they didn't have Carsten Nielsen. right? So, Carsten Nielsen yeah. was getting paranoid and he thought he was going to get arrested next. Uh, he managed to destroy some evidence in the hideout, but he, kept, he stayed on the move. He was trying to keep one step away from the cops. He was renting a car from his brother and... <laughs> he was just driving around and on may 2nd 1989 he accidentally drove his car into a lamppost disfigured oh and blinded himself God. and was picked up by traffic police who sent him to hospital searched his car and found a utility bill for the hideout that's how they got the location they opened the door with the keys and that's how the blakinga street gang all went to jail and how long did it take for them to find him like they arrested everyone else. April thirteenth, he drove his car into okay. a lamppost okay. on May second. I okay. believe that that was so that was th- something. Th-
0: yeah. I don't it think he accidentally drove into a lamppost. No, I no, don't. No, no. I, I there's too many fucking coincidences with this.
1: It's only six months. It was less. It was less than a month. It was less than a month. I, that was Alex Abel. I don't know how he did it. It was before he knew about magic. He's... Fucked up Carlson Nielsen,
0: uh, but didn't kill him. Uh, Disfigured and blinded by the crash into a lab and this is one of two options. This second option better be as compelling as this one. Otherwise, we should just fucking skip it. Because holy shit. Now, this
1: definitely influenced The Ascension in a big way. Because I believe Alex Abel was involved in all this. I believe this this is the thing. He didn't do it for... Clout, he didn't do it for fame, he didn't do it for money, he did it for stopping bad people. And these guys killed a cop, they're a bunch of communists, he didn't like communists, they were talking some shit, and they got taken out. Remember, he was dealing
0: with terrorists and he dealt with these terrorists. Well do we do you have a strong idea of what exact archetype you think he was ascending as? Because the main thing coming to mind is like the anonymous vigilante. That's it. That was it. Anonymous vigilante and you can look to Judge Judge Dredd and shit, right? But I mean, yep. Looking at the zeitgeist, it it, I mean, it wasn't you know it was the vigilante. It was the vigilante. Definitely. Well, I mean, the main thing um, that comes to mind is, and I hate to say this because it keeps fucking coming back to comic books, Batman, F- fucking maybe. Batman. Maybe. Like it could be the it. Anonymous, the masked vigilante. Yeah, that's it. Fuck the fuck the um what was it? The emblazoned champion. Yeah, the this emblazoned is, champion. Is, this <laughs> the anonymous vigilante and Alex Abel almost yeah. got there and it was, ju- I mean, let's, let's, let's not tie this to team salvation. Let's no, not, please. no, that's, 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 that's a dark path. That's a, that goes dark places real fast. Um, okay. So that's one of two options. And you did spend no, that, like that,
1: that, that. That's not an option. An hour a, a, I, I
0: it's okay, an okay, option. Okay. I believe that this is linked because the keys.
1: The keys okay, are so important. Okay, yeah, like okay, I think yeah, this was part yeah, of the yeah. joke.
0: Okay. I thought you said there was another thing.
1: <laughs> it is described in the dossier in Lawyers, Guns, and Money that he did something in 19, uh, just before he ascended, right? Um, the assassination of a European terrorist mastermind. Um, staggering cost, he did something that... Uh, killed someone unmentioned unnamed interestingly someone that the counter-terrorist agencies couldn't touch maybe even didn't know about someone repro- like he was meant to be untouchable could have been a messenger actually he copscotches <laughs> around Europe he could have been something now he gets his brains blown out in Buenos Aires on Alex Abel's dime. and now I was looking into Buenos Aires and I was like what What happened in Buenos Aires uh, is there anything that happened um and there was, in 1989, there was an attack on the La Tablada barracks, which was a um, military barri- barracks that was attacked by members of the Movimento Todos por la Patria, which was basically, they it was a leftist group that took the bar- barracks to get weapons because they thought that a far-right group of military officers were about to take over the government. They were, pro- they were pretty much right. Um, but looking at it, it did seem to be a very much an internal thing not really i didn't see what there's a place for alex Abel to get involved or any kind of european mastermind so i think what happened was actually happening slightly north because there is a link to argentina here and this is the kidnapping of abilio dinis now who the hell is this guy he's a rich man He's a Brazilian businessman. He's one of the wealthiest individuals in Brazil. um, And he's still very rich. He's one of the most uh, influential people in the country. And he got kidnapped um, by a group of people. And these people are ridiculous. It's Chileans, Argentinians, and weirdly, two Canadians. Oh, God. This is happening when there is an election coming up, right? Right. Um, and the candidates for the election at the time are Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, who you might recognise the name of. or you don't remember Lula? Lula, the president who became president like a, bunch of, a few years ago. Oh fuck! Yes, huh? this is the, him. The guy, the guy before you, the, the, the
0: bearded guy. Oh fuck! Yeah. Okay, he was involved with all this.
1: He was he was running for election for the workers' party at the time. Yeah, no, his, I remember
0: that. Okay, fuck. And he was and on the, No, shit. I don't All no, right. I don't think he was. I don't
1: think this is background. Right. This is background. And he was against right. this guy, Fernando Collar de Mello, who was the right wing party candidate. Yeah. And now this guy looks exactly like you'd expect the right wing candidate of,
0: of Brazil to look like. Let me let me post you a picture, just All right yeah that's that's pretty much exactly <laughs> on point. Um, yeah <laughs> I was I was expecting a slightly less receded hairline other than that like exactly. Now, this kidnapping occurred on the day
1: of the presidential election. It had serious repercussions on the on the elections because there was a, a rule at the time, there was a prohibition of any political party talking to the media with the television, radio, newspapers at all, which meant that rumors soon spread that this kidnapping was due to the Workers' Party and they had no way to, like, counteract these accusations, these rumors that were spreading, um, which is one of the reasons why (laughs) they didn't win the election. Um, Now, these two Canadians are weird as hell. I don't know what they mean, but they're weird as hell. These were two students. Their names were David Spencer and Christine Lamont. They were both students at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, and they had joined the kidnap gang Um, they'd used their canadian passports and contacts to rent a number of of apartments in preparation for the next victim who was diniz abilio Diniz, who was at the time the primary shareholder of brazil's largest supermarket chain are you noticing some tactical similarities now to our danish friends a little a little Now, in December 1989, Denise was dragged out of his Mercedes-Benz as he was on his way to work and then bundled into a station wagon, which was disguised as an ambulance. And he was held in a small underground cell and subjected to loud music to break his will. Um, And they were negotiating a... This family were negotiating a $5 million ransom when police stormed the house where he was being held in Sao Paulo uh, based on a tip from a neighbor who had complained about the music. Um apparently they tried to use it to break his will but this guy Denise, had just requested to turn it up louder uh which was what <laughs> ended up saving him because the neighbor complained it was like turn it up you bastards <laughs> uh and then the police raided now the police raided they when they, they arrested five chileans two argentines a brazilian along with these two canadians and these three of the chileans were members of the movement of the revolutionary left um which is a Chilean like a big left-wing organization now all of these things put together and the fact that it fell apart suggests to me that this was being orchestrated not not from Brazil but from someone in Buenos, Buenos Aires that got a bullet in his head by Alex Abel and that's why it fell apart I think that This was the event that was connected to the assassination. December 1989, I think he shoots this terrorist mastermind who's gone on a trip and is applying what he's learned with the Blekinga Gang in Denmark, and he's applying it to South America. Alex Abel gets him. A month later, Alex Abel almost ascends as
0: the vigilante, maybe, or something else. That's a pretty compelling explanation, honestly. I mean, you do understand what you've done here, right? Mm. Alex I've Abel the, has been barking up the wrong tree for thirty years. You yeah, just pointed yeah. him to the right tree.
1: Yeah, might be in trouble because
0: Inquis- Inquisitor is going to be angry at me. <laughs> oh, there. <no. laughs> are you sure we really want to give Alex Abel this information? Hmm. I don't know. Like looking more into it, I, I. I've- I wonder if Alex Abel. I mean, he still would fucked us the... over on a personal level several times, and yeah, there's been a bit of a back and forth escalation. I don't even know who fucking started at this point. I think we just gave him shit on the air once, and he wanted to um, let well, us know that thing. wasn't allowed, and then he's.
1: Well, that's the thing. He this this all this shit that the two and I did every every bad thing every bad decision Alex Abel made is all because of this. It's all because like his place. As a god was taken away, and he was fucked with. The fall of the keys—that was a, that was a reference. The new Inquisition—that uh, that name came into his head. It was a reference. He was fucked with by the Inquisitor. Like all these things, I like. Now well, I I'm, feel I'm sorry for the guy.
0: I, I'm sympathetic to him on a certain level, uh, though. This is what happens when you when you go against the revolution. Um. Sure. Maybe I don't maybe we don't want to have Alex Abel up I I've had thoughts on
1: this. I've interviewed some people from other I mean, other it, spaces.
0: It would, it would make sense if the current God walker of the Inquisitor in his life on Earth was a ardent Maoist. I think I think that's not too strange of an idea. Would you agree? It makes sense. Like yeah, I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad I for the guy, yeah. but God you remember vancouver oh, vancouver fuck. okay maybe that this was...
1: is the thing this is the thing like this is the archetype maybe it was There's a new archetype you,
0: yes. what's up no, no, don't worry about it don't worry about it <laughs> um then that was a different alex maybe that was a different you Maybe that was a different me who knows um i mean like yeah like i'll be honest i have especially like as alex has been like you know guys in his fucking 70s right He's just up there in his ivory tower, shaking with paranoia and and vengeance, and I'm not even sure. I don't even sure he cares that much about ascension at this point. At this point, I think he just wants to feel safe. But the thing is, he's never going to be safe because
1: he, if if someone reaches that point of ascension, it means he's he's got there, and everything that happened after him after that, like. The TNI, the Whisper of War, all the changes, everything that's fucked with him since, maybe even Eponymous's, um defection, even like that sudden change in personality. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was probably orchestrated by the Inquisitor, the sitting Inquisitor in The Invisible Clergy and a whole bunch, all this shit, you know, you know what I just thought, of, that we talked about earlier on why there's all these alternative explanations, these hypotheses. Doesn't that yeah. sound like something involved with the Heisenberg messenger? Fucking sure. telling you what you might want to hear. Like, sure. there's definitely linked to Dermot Arcane, and I think there was an alliance going on. And I think they they poisoned the well. They fucked with Alex Abel. They gave him weird visions he didn't know how to interpret, and <laughs> they just used his own like, weaknesses against him when he was so close. He was so close. And maybe we don't want him up there. Maybe we don't want to live in a world where there are more real Batman out there. Maybe we don't want to live in a world where um, Elon Musk is having, like, terrorists killed. But we don't see that world.
0: So it is possible that the Inquisitor has strong Maoist sympathies not necessarily not necessarily not necessarily, not necessarily but, but, I but be maybe that but maybe case. but here here's maybe this wait, is tying a things minute. together with too neat of a bow no that's it great the struggle st- session the struggle session his second oh, wife fuck. apple's second wife oh
1: yes whoa 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 and that's all early stuff this is mm, this is a long time in planning this is a long time in planning Mm.
0: Maybe mm. that's how Dermot Arcane got got her attention in the first place. Sorry, sorry, maybe. fuck. Maybe that's how maybe that's how Alex Abel uh, got her attention in the first place. He was putting in all this money to uh, fuck with that group that she was involved with, and she followed it. Back the I other think, way uh, and realized she, she, fuck. she was
1: already out though. She was already out though before he got involved. Yeah. Uh, he he yeah. wasn't involved like she, like that thing out that all happened in 1977
0: and he didn't, yeah, yeah, no, I get oh, okay. So that was that was fucking like over a decade before. Gotcha, but it does make me think that there might be a connection
1: there because she just fucking
0: disappears. She just uh,
1: thin air. Yeah, maybe she, she just
0: and someone with that can, strong of a personality. And that closely involved with so many other people pulling off these heists. I refuse to believe that she just was like, nope, I'm I'm going to be quiet from now on. Because think about
1: the the sitting inquisitor. Our idea of the inquisitor is like Spanish Inquisition that no one expects. Yeah, yeah. but we it's at least backed by power. It's backed by like the struggle session in the K A K. That is probably maybe she was a God Walker of the Inquisitor yeah that's interesting
0: that's interesting
1: mm. Mm. I mean, it
0: it wraps things up with a bit too neat of a bow, but it would make a lot of sense yep
1: yep she was just another oh another 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 brick in the wall um what i'm interested in is who the fuck this terrorist was because i think that he might have been a Godwalker of someone too this is some invisible clergy power of struggle shit like affecting yeah the world. No,
0: this was i mean you know it could have just been someone getting instrumentalized by the clergy that happens all the fucking time but i would not oh, be surprised if they were some sort of fucking avatar oh. oh god wait a
1: minute wait a minute wait a minute this fucking um mystic backwash from these events right kills this guy in Brutus Aureus almost ascends as the vigilante and is failed. This happens is his Chicago penthouse. What happens a few years later in Chicago? Fly to heaven. He was trying to... What's his face? Was trying to ascend as the terrorist. Like, that's a mystic backwash.
0: We'd have to follow that guy's paper trail a bit more. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that means I have to re- read Fly to Heaven again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but... Uh it was the late 90s. It was the late 90s. But you see, like, writing, writing, writing this stuff,
1: you you can't write it off just because it was the late 90s. <laughs> no, you can't like, write it off.
0: There's truth in there no matter how little tact it's put with. That's all right. It's like tact or lack of tact. It doesn't matter. It's it's what, like, reading between the well, lines. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> call people Oreos. I'll, I'll, I think I'm going to... <laughs> uh, I think right. I'm okay with uh, putting my foot down on that one but alright uh, otherwise <laughs> yeah um, just because your role playing game scenario happens to have unfortunate parallels with a terrorist attack that kills thousands of people later on doesn't mean there's not still truth to be found there that's right I always think of myself
1: as more of a Tim Tam and not just because if you suck milk through me it's delicious it's <laughs> delicious
0: God fucking damn it. I mean, I can go for a digestive right now. Fuck. Alright, well, no, I think you've cracked the case. Now, uh, Alex, this doesn't mean we forgive you, but we feel a bit (laughs) guiltier about all the things we've said.
1: This is not. That doesn't excuse
0: the hit squads, but hopefully. This gives a reason to bury the hatchet a bit and you'll at the very least send less of those after us Even if you cut it in half, we'll be appreciative Um, Did, did you hear that? No, did, did that, that crack that crack. What, what was oh. that? Yeah, what was that? Yeah, look at the uh, look at the bullet hole They definitely oh, could have sure. got okay, you that. Well, we need to move this studio again. All right. Well, um. That, that was a. That was like a love bite. That was nothing. He <laughs> <laughs> That was. It was, it was it. Near the, that, that. was a leg shot. He <laughs> just. Well, he just wanted to know, Let us know that he still cares. We know, Alex. We know. All uh, well, right. Ah, hopefully shit. things. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, once we get this out, things will things will die down a bit. But until then, well, we still love you, Alex.